As we've been sort of journeying through the past four weeks, um, we've heard about the hope of Advent. Thanks. Um, we had the opportunity to listen to Tim Colwell and just his talking about their ministry of hope in, in Ross River. Uh, Nick shared with us about the, the peace available to us when we are at peace with God and feel the contentment of what he's given us. Um, last week, we, uh, we listened to Rick Turner talk about the joy of relationship in the Holy Spirit and close communion in God and that joy that's available to us through that. And today, I'd like to speak to you about love, love that's willing to sacrifice, love that is ready to be fearless, and the love that is the conduit through which we experience hope, peace, and joy. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are love, that there are so many ways, particularly in this season, that we see your love upon us, and God, we wish to be your instruments of love to one another and to our community. So bless your word this morning. I pray that um, your Holy Spirit will be among us, bringing your truth, and that, Lord, um, the words that I speak would be the words that you would have me speak this morning. In Jesus' name. Please turn your Bibles to um, John 15, um, 10 to 13. We're going to be bouncing around, but this will be the first passage that we speak or we look at. John 15, 10 to 13. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this. So that my joy may be in you complete, or be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this: love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. I have uh, always been struck by, by this passage: "Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends." Sometimes I catch myself thinking, do I love so-and-so at work enough to lay down my life for him? Stan, you made the cut. I saw Stan earlier. Okay. Um, The idea of laying down one's life for someone else is uh, pretty intense. Uh, Dare I say an extreme expression of love. It's one that as human beings, we, we have the capacity to do. We've all heard stories of this, but often it requires, for us to think about it, it often requires, I think, us to be thinking of a scenario of a loved one, of someone close to us. The, the idea of doing this for someone that we, we don't know, a um, little bit harder. Pastor Jeremy, a few weeks ago, brought to our minds that the God who created parenthood was the God who sent his son to die for us, and to restore relationship to him. Um, I don't know, like uh, probably all the parents here, I I was pretty taken aback by that that thinking. And then when I was doing my study this week, I thought, but we can't forget that as excruciating as this decision must have been for the Father, we must also remember that Jesus was in on it too. Galatians 1.4 tells us the Lord gave himself for our sins, so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, 
according to the will of our God and Father. Christ knew the peril, and he sacrificed himself for us to bring about the Father's gift of love. That's a pretty powerful example of practicing what you preach. And it's also one of the foundational principles of the Christian faith. The Father, through his master plan of love, and Christ, through his willing sacrifice, model for us the love that God expects us to offer and to provide for others. This is not to say that you are called to relentlessly look for ways to offer up your life for people this week. I don't expect people chasing after runaway baby carriages or um, cape and mask and running after speeding vehicles. I don't know. Um, That's not what I'm talking about here. But I am talking about listening to God's voice when he asks us to reflect his love to someone. Each day there are countless ways that we can do this. And at times it may cost us something. Philippians 2 verses three to four says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Please pay really special attention to the second part here. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also to the interests of others. As individuals and as communities and as nations, how often do we look first and foremost to our own, like, our own interests? Area of growth, right here, I need it. Taking in the news of just one day is enough to prove this, I think, beyond a shadow of a doubt in our minds. As fathers and mothers, how often do we choose to put a job-related concern, perhaps a hobby, or even just some much-needed downtime before spending an extra hour with our kids. It's not a life-and-death sacrifice, but it is putting our kids' interests before our career advancement, our hobbies, or our own relaxation. And it means the world to the most days, too, doesn't it? With our friends and neighbors, or sorry, we'll come back to the friends and neighbors. This is very important, too. Um, As wives and husbands, How often do we fail to recognize something our partner needs in a moment? Because we are too focused on our our own immediate job concerns, our preferences, or our personal sources of busyness. Now, friends and neighbors. um, Would giving a few extra hours of our time to help them accomplish something they need to do, or um, just a kind word, taking the time to, to stop and talk, would that connect us more closely to one another? Would this bring them in relationship in, uh, with Christ through relationship with us? Now, what about those in our community who are on the fringes? How is God asking us to express his love to them this week? Personally, this is something that I, uh, I struggle with. Um, you, can, you can walk down Main Street and Whitehorse and you can see a whole lot of different needs, can't you? And... Sometimes it could be something as small as, as just buying someone lunch when they ask for their change. You know, taking a moment to sit down with them and listen to the bit of their story. The dignity that that gives someone, the, the sense of, of care, is, I think, of tremendous kingdom return 
And, and that's something that I'm challenging myself to be more active in as well. Now, my favorite fairy tale as a child was Oscar Wilde's The Happy Prince. Okay, a few people know, and they're probably like, oh, goodness, where is he going with this? Um, in the story, a well-to-do European town was, has built a visually stunning statue to a, um, or in the honor of a now-dead monarch. The statue is gold-plated gold iron with sapphire eyes and a ruby sword hilt. For some reason, the artist also placed a heart of lead in the, in the statue. Now, the whole town is proud of the statue. Mothers admonish their children to have the same happy and content expression as the happy prince has upon his face. What the townspeople do not realize is that the spirit of the departed prince lives within the statue. And from his perch high above the town, he can see all of the suffering of the poor and needy in the town that goes unseen and unheeded by the wealthy townsfolk. How this must mirror the experience of our Lord as he looks down upon our world. As the story progresses, a small swallow on his way to Egypt for its winter migration shelters under the prince's legs and they become friends. Each night the prince directs the swallow to pluck out a separate gem or a piece of um, the fine gold from himself to give to various people in the town. Out of love for the prince, and the helping the poor, the swallow stays weeks too long and in the end succumbs to, to the winter and dies. In seeing his friend die, the lead heart of the prince breaks. And the statue by that time is so shabby looking that by giving away all the finery, the townspeople decide to pull down the old statue and plant a new statue as a monument to themselves. Now I know what you're thinking, Jason obviously has a thing for feel-good stories. <laughs> right now, Katerina and my parents are probably thinking, can we take back the gifts we got him and buy him some books with happy endings? <laughs> but the ending is the best part. God sends an, an angel down to the town to bring back the two most precious things. And the angel selects the small body of the sparrow and the lead heart of the prince. I love this story because it echoes for me the Advent story of our Lord. As the prophet Isaiah wrote, Christ had no stately form or majesty that we should know him or we should look upon him. He stripped himself of all of his glory like the prince in the story did so that people might live. God values a heart like this. He modeled it for us and he calls us to, to like him love sacrificially. Now, the second theme of love I want to talk about this morning is that love is ready to be fearless. At Christmas, we think of Christ's coming. We consider anew the reason for his coming. Have you ever stopped to think, at what point did Jesus fully know the reality of his mission here on earth? I don't believe that the Bible provides us with a clear answer to this question. Our theologians have discerned from the scriptures the concept of Christ being fully God and fully man, um, a mystery that they would call the incarnation. But have you ever put yourself in Jesus' sandals 
and at some point, or and thought at some point, probably no later than the age of 12, Christ had a full understanding that the end game for his time here on earth was one of the most painful, mortifying, and shameful deaths human beings have devised. That Jesus, with that knowledge, was able to day in and day out live blamelessly, love others around him, and walk faithfully toward the goal of this death is fearlessness personified. In being fully human, there must have been moments of, and days even, of intense dread. And we were given a window to one of those as he prayed in Gethsemane, beseeching God to take his destiny from, away from him if, he, if it was possible. You know, there's, there's times in the scriptures where we, we talk about Jesus as, a, as an expert in the law and the prophets. That means that he was pretty well versed in the book of Isaiah. And I think, what must have it been like to sit there in the, ta- in the temple and read Isaiah 53 and have the knowledge, this is me. This has come, right? And yet lo- Christ loved fearlessly not considering his own interest, but moving without flinching toward the moment where he proved the words, or his own words to the apostles and showed how great his love was, dying for them and for us. How are we to love fearlessly? The picture on the PowerPoint is a man by the name of Adel Termos. In Beirut last month, there was an attack by Daesh upon a marketplace. And those of you who maybe haven't heard the word Daesh, I refuse to say Islamic State. Because Islamic State gives legitimacy to a bunch of thugs and uh, godless people in that region. Arab people in, in, the, in that region say, please do not call them this. Call them Daesh, which basically is the Arabic word for thugs and bigots. A suicide bomber detonated himself, killing around 40 people. And as people rushed to help the wounded, another bomber made ready to detonate himself and multiply the loss of life. Adel Termos made sure, um, <clears throat> excuse me, made sure his six-year-old daughter was um, out of harm's way as best he could, and then rushed the bomber and tackled him. The attacker was forced to detonate himself right there and then, far away from the crowd. And the witnesses say that this father saved the lives of hundreds. Right? As a father of a little girl not much older than his daughter, um, I can't even begin to fathom the emotions that must have been going through him. But his love for his daughter and for those in the marketplace made him fearless in the face of a situation that would have filled all of us with fear. Stories like this and the horrifying events in Paris have filled many of us with fear. I get that. We now fear the people who are trying to flee the unspeakable violence and the suffering that's in this region. This past week, Christian leaders such as Franklin Graham have lent their voice in support of Donald Trump's call to keep out or to restrict the movement of Muslim people in the United States. Others such as Jerry Falwell Jr. have encouraged students at Liberty University to take firearms courses and begin packing handguns in order to stop terrorist attacks, specifically by Muslims. And some of us might think, well, you know, maybe there's some wisdom in this. When the media is awash with these stories, day in and day out, it shapes the narrative in our minds. 
When men with names we recognize call for blanket discrimination, harsh restrictions upon, or the outright rejection of people based upon their religion or where they come from. It gives us pause. It makes us wonder if, there's, if this is not the right course. And I must confess to you that in my study this week, I failed in my search to find where in the scriptures Reverend Graham found God's command to shut our doors to people fleeing from terror and misery. I did find a passage in Leviticus, Leviticus 19, 34, that said, when a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. There's another one in Numbers 10, 18 to 19. He, that's the Lord, he executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the foreigner by giving him food and clothing. So show your love for the foreigner, for you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. I also failed to find the exact passage where Reverend Falwell found that admonished us to start walking around armed at all times so that we might be ready to make vengeance our own and do the job of law enforcement. I did see some passages about the sword of the spirit. It's always good to have on you. But nothing about literal swords or handguns. Didn't see that. I did come across Christ reprimanding Peter when he cut the ear off of someone who he felt was a threat to himself, the apostles, and to Jesus. Matthew 26, 52 states, Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Christ went on to talk about the authority and the power that he had to call angels to his aid. Something that he chose not to do. That's love that is willing to sacrifice. And that's love that's ready to be fearless. We can choose to try and keep out those we, tr- we mistrust. We can choose to hide behind high walls or to have a weapon in our hands at all times. But that is putting our trust in our own strength. And it's not loving fearlessly. It's not loving fearlessly. It's not following the model that Christ set out for us. When our ability to love, to reach out to those in need, is stifled by fear, hatred, or mistrust, we also limit our ability to experience the other sources of God's fullness that we have been meditating on in these past weeks of Advent. When our fear overshadows our love, we miss out on the blessing God wishes for us in being instruments of peace. Nick reminded us that being at peace with God provides us with peace in our hearts. Peace that runs counter to the narrative of the world. The media and sadly sometimes the leaders that we have. Peace that passes all understanding. Could it be that that's what's happening right now? That by loving in the face of our fear, we could be instruments of God's peace. By opening the doors of our communities and our nation, could it be a means by which God will provide peace for people in desperate need of it? When fear overshadows our love, we lose sight of our hope. 
the cares and the uncertainty of this life overwhelm us with thoughts of the many ways that things could go wrong for us. Tim Colwell shared with us the cost of not coming alongside the hopeless in his sermon. The cost could very well be finality and separation from God for someone. And by loving in the face of our fear, could we embrace the hope Christ has blessed us with, so much so that we need to share it. Would it be so evident in our lives that any stranger we encounter could see it and wish it for him or herself? When our fear overshadows our love, we lose touch with our joy. Pastor Rick reinforced for us last week that joy came from being connected to the love of God through the Holy Spirit. When we are in deep communion with God and our spirit, and sorry, when we're, when, we're, when we're in deep communion with God and our spirit responds to His, we are filled with overwhelming and clear conviction as to who we are in Him and who He wishes us to, uh, to be and, to, and how He wishes us to serve Him. By loving in the face of our fear, could we be so full of joy? that, God, or that um, people both foreign and neighbor who have hurt and suffered might see the difference Christ makes for us. Decide that they too want that for themselves. In this Advent season um, and in this coming year, let us purpose that our love be the conduit through which we are blessed and become the means of blessing to others. And may Christ's love in us and through us be the source of hope, of peace, and joy. Let's pray. Father God, I just, um, I'm grateful for who you were, who you are, and the life that you lived on this earth. I'm grateful for your Holy Spirit and his ability to empower us to do the work that you would have us to do, to provide us with, with hope and joy, love and peace, God. And I ask that in the coming weeks, you will make crystal clear to each one of us the day-to-day tasks you have for us, the day-to-day ways that we can be the conduit of your love to others. May we serve you in this well, Lord, and run the race well. In Jesus' name, amen.